Welcome to Spirits of Whiskey. We explore the wide world of whiskey through the many colorful personalities who make it, promote it, write about it, and more. With each podcast, Carrie Moynihan, a certified bourbon steward and bartender, and yours truly, Philip Dobar, director of the Cocktail Collection, interview whiskey's most important names. From high-profile makers, blenders, and ambassadors, to out-of-the-way innovators and remote pioneers. Join us as we discover the people and elements that give the water of life its spirit. It is September 3rd, 2021, and you're watching episode 51. Coming up, we speak with global brand ambassador, Matthew Cordner. Stay with us. guys, we're back, finally, after COVID-19. I'm Carrie. I'm Philip. I'm Louise. I'm the chef. Chef Louise Leonard, as in Whiskey, A Chef's Journey. That chef. Yes. We started shooting just before the pandemic lockdown, and now today, our very first day, you are catching us on set, and we would love to talk to you about how you can help get us from here to your TV set. The thing is, we've run out of money. We mounted a pre-production campaign, which was very successful. Thank you very much for that. But now we're back into production and we need your support for this phase. You supported this uh, the first go round, or if you didn't, we welcome your support this time. The thing is, we want to take this show around the world, quite literally. Quite literally. And that takes money. So won't you help us get this to market? You can visit whiskeyachefsjourney.com for all of the information you're going to need to help us realize this project. Well, I think it's a cheers to that. (laughs) Cheers. Our guest today on Spirits of Whiskey is Mr. Matthew Cordner, the global ambassador uh, for Bacardi's single malts, um, including Aberfeldy, Altmore, Kurgelicky, the Deveron, and Royal Brackla. Um, all of those brands are owned by Dewar. Uh, Dewar's or Dewar and Sons, uh, which of course is this. Okay. And uh, which is a subsidiary of Bacardi Global Brands. Um, welcome, Matthew. Yes, Thank welcome. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be with you. It's lovely to have you. So we always start out every episode asking our guests about their whiskey journey. Um, how did you become this global global brand ambassador? <laughs> did you, as a wee little lad, think any as a child that you would possibly ever work in the whiskey industry, or were you planning to be an astronaut? Yes, a childhood dream of being a whiskey yeah. evangelist. Yes, <laughs> it's. I still can't believe I get to call myself a global brand ambassador. And to be honest, I still feel like a bit of a charlatan mm-hmm. getting to call myself that because it's a recent appointment. Um, as you know, it's been uh, kind of unofficially about twelve months now. Uh, but I think I must be the least global global brand ambassador in the history of the title, <laughs> taking on the role at the beginning of a global pandemic. So I've been saying on a good day, I get out of my bedroom, let alone postcode. So I can't wait for that first trip on <laughs> a plane and hopefully get over to see you guys in the States. Awesome. We'll look, we'll look forward to that. <laughs> but uh, for so me, the journey, cool. yeah. It's, um, I was going to say, where did you grow up and, and uh, how did you get here? Well, my hometown, I'm from Craig Ellicky, uh, so oh, nice. it's a little village. Hey, there's the a whiskey from there. Did you know I that? There is, I believe there's a really good whiskey from there, in fact. Uh, so we'll, we'll come on to talk about that one later for sure. So it very much is home pride uh, for me as part of this global role. But uh, growing up in the village, you're kind of surrounded by people talking about whiskey. My, my parents didn't work directly in the industry, but a lot of family friends did. And, you know, it's quite often the topic of conversations, you know, around a dinner table or a bar and for me, it was always just a passing subject. I honestly never thought I was going to end up in the, the whiskey industry. Um, but you are honestly surrounded by, you know, people say, when did you start in the industry? And I say to some of them, oh, five years old. And they say, what, what are you talking about? And well, <laughs> as soon as you start at Krigelke Primary School, one of the first trips you do is to Krigelke Cooperage, and they teach you how to oh, build a nice. cask, right? So uh, there awesome. used to be a photo of me at five years old on the front of the pamphlet, building my first cask, you know? So, oh, I so love they, it. So they had you over a barrel at five. <laughs> There we go, indeed. But uh, yeah, honestly, I never thought I was going to work in the industry. And then when I went off to university, the best summer holiday job, if you're from Speyside, is to come back and be a tour guide at the Sophie for the Summer. I went off to study classical music, nothing related to the industry at all. And uh, yeah, looking for a summer holiday job, I thought, what am I going to do? And then a few older mates said, you want to work as a tour guide? 
cheap whiskey to bring back for all your mates at university and get you through, you know, the next term. Um, and it's just great fun. And the taste not bad either. So, uh, that was it for me. I thought, right, I'll go work at distillery. Um, I looked to see which one all my mates were working at. Uh, so could, you know, save petrol money, you know, as poor students, you know, car share up to the distillery. And uh, one of the ones I ended up going for the interview and got accepted uh, was the Glenlivet. So uh, that oh, nice. was home for me uh, to begin with. And I was a, a seasonal uh, sort of tour guide there across it, a couple of different degrees. So ended up being about seven years uh, in total as a seasonal tour guide. Um, but for year one, it was literally just, this will be a great summer holiday job. I'll go there, get some money, and that'll be it. But in that first year, I just absolutely fell in love with whiskey. And it's one of these things you've been surrounded with all your life. But I think it was more when I met people from out with the village, you know, coming to visit distilleries from around the world. You suddenly just realized this is pretty special. You know, not everybody has a distillery in their village. And, you know, that's amazing kind of craft and history, you know, that surrounds them. So well, really fell Matthew, yeah. Matthew. But uh, at Glenlivet, um, I met someone who I'm sure a name you'll be familiar with, um, Ian Logan, uh, who was the, the global brand ambassador for Glenlivet. And again, some of the other amazing global brand ambassadors in the team there. And I didn't know this job existed, right? You know, And I thought, wow, this looks like a fun job. How on earth to become a global brand ambassador? And uh, after my kind of time, as I say, as a music student, I then became a business student with mind of getting into the whiskey industry. And then Chivas Brothers had just started a, a grad program for uh, graduates of many different uh, so it was the year two intake um, on their graduate program. Uh, what better program to get to travel around the world and talk about whiskey being based out of year. So I was a UK brand ambassador based out of uh, Edinburgh for year one. Actually made it over to you guys in the States. So year two for me was Miami uh, of mm. all places. So going from, you know, a, a small village in the highlands of Scotland of just under 600 people to moving into an apartment on South Beach. Uh, Miami was quite an eye-opener uh, as well. I didn't know which way was up for about the first two months, but I had the best time. I got to see the hospitality industry in Miami is, is something special uh, as well. And then finished up the grad program. Year three for me was in uh, South Africa. So based oh, wow. time. So it was just a great grounding in seeing how one brand can look so different in, in different markets, you know, different countries around the world. And uh, yeah, really good grounding for me, I think, in the industry. But um, when, when I was in the Miami, actually, I would not be in the job I'm in now um, if it hadn't been for, I think, week two in Miami. Uh, I ended up in a distributor's warehouse uh, just outside, I think it was Miramar, uh, just outside Miami. And uh, this was me fresh off the boat. So, again, I, I hadn't really got my Miami clothes, I'll say, sussed out yet. So all I had to look smart was a thick Harris tweed jacket. And uh, all I remember thinking, it's fine because Miami, you know, it's the opposite of Scotland. You, know, you put clothes on when you get inside because you guys have the aircon, you know, so low yeah. uh, compared to what we're used to. So it's kind of the opposite. But I just remember this distributor's warehouse had like no aircon. And I ended up in a boxing ring um, at the time representing Chivas Regal, talking brand histories, battling it out against the National Jewers Ambassador, this amazing character and uh, good friend now, Gabe Cardarella, um, as well, talking brand histories. And, being from Scotland, I didn't really know much about Jewers because in all honesty, you know, it's really grown in the last few years. But mm -hmm. at that time, it was very much an export brand. You know, obviously, massive number one selling blend in the States just now for Scotch whiskey, but one I hadn't really heard too much about. And uh, coming out of that boxing ring, I had just this newfound appreciation for Jewers. And I think it's so interlinked with the history of Scotch whiskey and amazing characters, as I'm sure we'll discuss. Uh, shortly but this uh, guy Gabe Gardarella he said you know next time you're back in Scotland have you visited Aberfeldy and I said no he said next time you're back make sure you stop in at the distillery for a visit uh, so my uh, then girlfriend now uh, soon to be future wife uh, I always Yay. drag her around distilleries anytime I get the chance she's, she's uh, not a fan of whiskey I'll say that she doesn't like drinking whiskey she doesn't mind going around the occasional distillery uh, so I was really chancing my luck we already visited a few distilleries I said look on our way down from you know visiting my folks back up back to Edinburgh I said any chance we can stop at Aberfeldy it's just like a 20 minute detour um, we'll stop in 20 minutes tops four hours later we were still oh, at the distillery and uh, I just absolutely fell in love with the place and if you if you get a chance to visit Aberfeldy visit Centre, you'll see why um, I mainly spent my time in uh, we've got this living archive room and it's just a treasure trove of history and you can really sort of interact with it with iPads feel like drawers and old documents just uh, uh, a TARDIS of you know whiskey information it's absolutely amazing um, so it. needless to say when the the job came up um, I was still out in South Africa at the time 
it was actually my, my girlfriend spotted this job. She said, you really liked Aberfeldy, didn't you? She says, well, there's a job just come up uh, with John Duren Sons to be based as the Aberfeldy brand home ambassador. But you also get to cover all their other distilleries for special visits, of course, one being Craig Ellicke. And so I had a fantastic time with Service Brothers. I owe them a lot. And as I say, Ian Logan, uh, who was their global brand ambassador, uh, was a real mentor for me. And uh, I kind of spoke to him as well about, you know, potentially going for this job. And he said, did you know, before I joined Chivas Brothers, once upon a time, I was the national Jewish ambassador in the US. So he was a big <laughs> fan of Jewish and said, you should go for it. And um, so, yeah, I didn't look back um, two years. I say Aberfeldy was really my spiritual home, uh, which I know we're going to talk about today for, for two years, the, the brand home and visitor center. And then just a natural progression from that role when my uh, amazing predecessor, Georgie Bell, uh, was stepping down from the global role to move on to another brilliant role in the incubation which we fall under here. Yes, we did a, here in Los Angeles, here in Los Angeles, the cocktail collection, the Center for Culinary Culture, we hosted Georgie. Uh, she led a seminar on Bacardi single malts. It was very yeah. well attended and very educational and very liquid. Uh, I, you know, I talk about Ian Logan <laughs> being a mentor. Uh, Georgie Bell has definitely become another mentor for me. She has an absolute uh, uh, amount of knowledge and yeah, a, a good go-to if there's something I didn't know for sure. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, and then when she stepped down, as I say, moved into the global role, just kind of over, I would say it was March kind of 2020. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, not not the time you should really be looking to step into the global role. An interesting time, yeah. I say, in many ways, the least global brand ambassador in history uh, of the role, probably. But in other ways, being able to do podcasts like this and Zooms and, you know, tastings for, you know, festivals moving online virtually. I reckon I've probably spoken to more people in my first year in the role than most global brand ambassadors just because you've of reached, you know, this, this new world we live in, right? Far many more people this way. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, and I hope, yeah. you know, don't get me wrong, there's nothing will ever replace having a dram in hand, chatting face to face with whiskey enthusiasts. Oh, whiskey high touch. Festival. High touch However, is where it's at. Yes. I hope I hope that this continues. You know, I think we've we've all learned uh, you know, for a lot of People in whiskey, I will say, especially back in the villages, they're pretty old school. So, you know, getting them savvy uh, with using Zoom and things was not easy. Uh, but now that we, we've all got used to it, I think it's great that we can, you know, invite them to virtual sessions and have a lot more FaceTime with, you know, producers directly and malt masters and master blenders. So hopefully we yeah. can get some of them on, on your show down the line as well. Um, now, you, you represent five brands, uh, each of which is a critical component of, of Dewar's blended scotch. And uh, today we're going to we're going to get together again and talk about brands three, four and five as though there were any order. Uh, but today we're talking about two of them, Aberfeldy and Kregelicki. Can you give us the background, background on those brands, starting with yeah. Aberfeldy? Both of them have quite the history behind them. And I, I am going to start with the 12 because um, as, Good you idea. Tell, as you can tell in my voice, I still do have a, a, a nice summer cold. And um, I think this will help me from coughing. So, so that's a toddy for you. Yeah, well, Definitely. I mean, it's not yeah. a toddy right now, but later probably it will turn into one. I will one say, if you're looking for a good whiskey for a, a toddy, it is 100% Aberfeldy 12. Um, we have our golden hot toddy. And you'll see, I think, as soon as you, you pour some Aberfeldy into the glass, one of the first sort of flavors you're going to get hit with in the nose is honey. For me, it's just yeah. this lovely rich heather honey and philip you've got one of our, of our lovely uh, golden ticket editions there with that golden wax edition, edition, right? how come he got really? all the good stuff what's going and on here this is his own this is actually, his own one this predates this predate this was given to me um as a birthday gift or Christmas oh, okay. gift, Christmas okay. gift, Christmas gift by a neighbor. Okay, and so Matt didn't give it to you. I feel better edition. now. The only, the only difference is that there's gold wax. Yes, it's beautiful. <laughs> um, so when I was doing a different show in Atlanta, um, I was so shocked to see how much cheaper things were the further east you go because there's less shipping involved. So I went to this local store and I I just stocked up on Aberfeldy and the Irishman because I couldn't, I, I mean, they were like half price based on what I pay for it here. So all summer, that's all I had was Aberfeldy and Irishman. That sounds like a, the, that sounds like a good summer to me. There are worse situations. <laughs> yes. There are. <laughs> but uh, to your, your lovely gold wax you had there, Philip, um, that is the nickname that we have for this whiskey is the golden dram. Okay. And, uh, it's not only because of that lovely golden color you get in the glass. 
It's not only because of that honeyed character and taste. Um, it's not only because of all the gold medals we've been winning, and a, a lot of those recently as well, if you've been keeping track on the awards. Um, it's actually to do with the water source. I'll, I'll come on to talk about that very shortly. Ah, the um, patilli. The patilli. Oh, spot on. It's like you're the a local. So you, you've, nailed, you've nailed that. Not the easiest to pronounce, but the patilli burn, uh, for sure. Um, but, you know, you can't really talk, I think, about the Aberfeldy story without talking a little to Dewar's, you know, because, as you mentioned, we are part of John Dewar and Sons, and that really is where it began for us, you know, as a, a blending company. And John Dewar, he was actually born just along from Aberfeldy, not in the village of Aberfeldy, uh, but one of our neighbouring villages that must have one of the funniest village names um, in Scotland. It's a little four-letter word. Um, any guesses? I'll put you on the spot here. Do you know the name of this village? No. The village, <laughs> the village of Dull, literally D-U-L-L, Dull. Dull, and, yes. Uh, and... I, I don't want to get myself in trouble with the people of Dull, but I'm sure the degree there's not that much going on in the village. Um, as I say, the, I, we always say the least dull thing to come from Dull must have been our founder. It was this tiny little place. And uh, I think John himself, John Dewar, found it pretty dull back then, moving into his early 20s. And he'd grown up in this small croft up in the hill called Shenville. Had uh, worked as a kind of apprentice joiner, like a carpenter. That's what most of his family did. But he thought, you know, dull is pretty dull. Get me out of here. And he went to join a, a wine and spirit shop uh, with an auntie and uncle in Perth, a kind of neighbouring uh, town. And he really learned his craft with them for about 20 years. And then in 1846, he decided, right, I'm going to open up my own shop under my own name. And that's really where sort of Dewar's began as a company. But back then, you know, Dewar's as a brand started to grow, but they were relying on other people's whiskey from all around Scotland. The, the family didn't have their own distillery. And that's really where Aberfeldy was born. It was after the, the death of John Senior, John Dewar, in 1880, uh, two of his sons decided to take on this legacy you know, of the, the Dewar's blending business. Um, John Alexander, who was really John Junior, you know, he was very much his father's son, thinking about quality and consistency in the product. And then you had Tommy Dewar, the kind of youngest son, who was a bon viveur, a raconteur, this kind of traveling salesman he became for the company and uh, if you haven't heard much about him look him up um, online because he was this guerrilla marketeer way ahead of his time if i'm going to give you one thing that he did and one of my favorite stories was when he headed down to london they had a lot of dirt roads and he realized this is wasted advertising space we designed a special bicycle wheel and patented it on the back wheel of a, the bike it had john duran's sons found perthshire whiskey perfectly written round the wheel so that when these bikes were ridden through the dirt streets, it printed in a perfect continuous line behind the bicycle, John Dewar and Sons found Perthshire Whiskey. He literally got John Dewar oh, and wow. Sons' name all over London. So it's that kind of thinking that he wait, had. It, wait, it, it imprinted it on the dirt road? It printed. It was an impress. So it, oh, it, that's it, awesome. It printed it into a dirt track. So um, in other words, John Dewar's name was Mud. Literally, well, it got all over town, though, uh, as well. I'll say that. Well, um, but, but that's, see, now here that wouldn't work because it doesn't have a rain, so it would just, like, blow away in five seconds. We, but yeah. there, yeah. We weren't short, you know, you know we're not short of rain in the UK, right? We, yeah. You know, going on to what you were saying, I think it was Billy Connolly famously said, you know, there's two seasons in Scotland. There's kind of winter in July, right? And uh, usually we have a good summer's day in July, you know. Most of the year we get a good amount of rain, but... Uh, today's rain is tomorrow's whiskey, uh, as we say. Oh, yeah. yes. So, um, nice. you know, we're, we're, we're pretty happy with it all, to be honest. You know, it keeps our reservoirs topped up in our water. I used to have that um, as my cover photo on Facebook. I have a little beautiful Scot Scottish landscape with that on it. Beautiful. It's a good Scots proverb, for sure. Yes. But uh, so that's, you know, why the distillery was built was really because of this blending legacy. And what they were looking for was something light, you know, sweet, easygoing to be the backbone, you know, the heart of the Dewar's blend. And I know you guys are tasting away here and hopefully folks who are watching this back, you know, get get yourself a glass of Aberfeldy 12 in hand. And as we said, the first thing for me you're greeted with is this lovely kind of floral honeyed nose. But I don't know about you guys. Any yeah, other thoughts sure. on that nose? No, right, right there with you. And this yeah. is, Aberfeldy is the largest single component of, of Dewar's blended, correct? I can't say it's the largest component as in single meat. You know, for any Dewar's blend, there could be up to 40 different whiskies going in there. Okay. We say wow. it's the backbone, it's the heart. It's got to be there. You know, it wouldn't be Dewar's without having um, Aberfeld. So this there. is the signature single malt of the, signature of the, single Dewar's, malt. Yeah, the, the Dewar's blend. The heart okay. of the blend is what we'd say. And I think anytime you taste a, you know, a Dewar's blend as well, you will see that honeyed backbone. You know, what the Aberfeldy offers 
clearly clearly there alongside many other whiskies um, mm. in the blend as well. But um, if you haven't had a taste yet, have a little taste as well. Mine's gone. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had to refill already. And I think oh. that honey just develops into these lovely, ripe, kind of juicy fruits um, alongside yep. some dried fruits as well. Because we use a combination of casks here. We've got a combination of first fill um, and our refill and rechar casks, we call them. Uh, within Bacardi and of both bourbon and uh, ex-bourbon, ex-sherry cask in there as well. So that tends to be Stephanie's kind of go-to recipe across her different malts, that combination of first fill, refill, uh, rechar, again, bourbon and sherry um, for us as well. I just think it's such a, a wonderful, easy drinking dram. And I always say, you know, whether if you're new to whiskey, I think this is one of the best whiskies to begin with. It's just oh, yeah. so inviting sure. and so easy going. Again, we bottle the whole core range at 40% ABV, um, I think, because of that, um, just to make it that kind of really accessible whiskey. We move up to some higher ABV, as we'll see later within the exceptional cask. But I think that really is the job of Aberfeld, is just to be this easy drinking, really easy to enjoy um, Scotch whiskey. I it does its job well. Hence why it was uh, one of the two, two drams that I kept buying in Atlanta. I mean, it's, I think <laughs> there was, you know, there was a bar downstairs, but I was like, I could buy a bottle for what they're going to charge me for one drink. And so, you know, the housekeeping people, I'm like, they're probably thinking I'm some crazy drunk in here because like every week they come and there's another bottle in the trash. I think it's, I know it's over here. It's at a really good price. It's kind of about the sort of 35 pound mark. And I know that translates pretty well for what you guys yeah. get it. About $45. Well. Yeah. 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 But I was getting it for like 25 bad. in Atlanta. It was crazy. Maybe it was a special buy, and I just happened to like pop in. Right and, place, right know. time. I think. Yeah. With that one, but uh, I said, you know, I mentioned I can't uh, pass on the Patilly burn. You know, something we talked about. I think it was a real kind of masterstroke where they decided to build the distillery. And one reason was it was very close to that ancestral home of Dull, which we talked about. So I think a real tribute to their <laughs> father building that kind of local landscape for the, the family. But as well, yeah. we had a, a railway line. So one of the first things you'll see if you visit us or if you, you know look up pictures is that this lovely little puggy, we call it the name for a kind of small Scottish steam engine train sitting out the front of the distillery. But we used to have a sidings kind of built on the side um, of the distillery, which was a connection from Perth um, to Aberfeldy um, there as well and uh, yeah. so we made it getting all our raw materials in really easy and of course all that whiskey back to Perth we were maturing uh, very easy as well but and for me the third and most important was the patilly again you know you can get all your raw materials sent in as in your barley you can get delivered your yeast you can get delivered but you must build near a good quality you know source of water and and as a water source uh, patilly burn is unique to Aberfeldy Unique yet, we're the only distillery now using it. There were historically two other distilleries that had used that source. There was a, an, an older Aberfeldy distillery built long before ours, which was in the village itself. And we're just kind of outside the village now. And there was also a Patilly distillery, um, if you look back in your history book um, as well. So, you know, historically, it was always known as a great, pure, clean source of natural spring uh-huh. water. But what more a great than that, we're going gold panning. Um, it used to be, you know, you'd find people gold panning up the source because... Aberfeldy historically was known to have seams of gold in the hills. A lot of this gold over time was kind of washed down through the hills and it became what we call alluvial gold, kind of nuggets shaped by water. And, uh, you know, don't maybe don't bring your welly boots and have a rake around the patilly today. You know, it's uh, pretty microscopic. I think if you pick up anything now, um, it is more, you know, for the historic name there. But um, I think it was back in 2019, the largest piece of gold ever discovered in the UK, um, alluvial gold in water, uh, was a nugget said to be found in Perthshire waters. Nice. And uh, local contacts but say it was uh, not that far, I think, from us in the scheme of things um, as well. So How you big never was know. It? Like... Oh, I, I think it was called the, the halo, they called it. It was a huge nugget found in two halves. Hmm. Uh, I honestly can't remember the, the size and weight, but if someone found it, uh, must be a very boring hobby because it's Scottish water, you know, in a river, it's not that clear. So I think someone in with a snorkel literally. <laughs> so I, I can't think of any uh, duller hobbies you know maybe it was quite close to dull you know but um worth it i think it was payday when he found it <laughs> so this vein of gold is the source of the name the golden dram hence the golden dram you know it, it's always been known as that golden water source for us and it's something we talk yeah. about as i say now, we like to say you know we do have a lot of gold medals as well so you know, that's definitely part of it what a great name the patilli yeah. distillery yeah. Uh, beautiful. would that it would that it were would that it were so still. 
So <laughs> is anybody else allowed to use this water source now or do you guys like own the property? How does that work? I think I think it's protected by us now because the, the source, I mean, if you come to visit us at the distillery, you can see this lovely cascading waterfall, but that pretty much is our cooling reservoir and the water coming over from that, kind of running back at, down into River Tay. But we have, it's a well source like a borehole and um, further back up, we're taking it from underground. So I believe that is what it does. Was that an That's invitation? Was that an invitation you just extended? Yes, it was. I heard him invite us. <laughs> we'll definitely need to get you over. As I say, it'd be my pleasure to show you around something. Just... Very good. Very good. Aberfeldy 16? Yeah, let's, let's yes, move on well. to that. I think a great shout. So, um, so um, we sent out a couple of different samples. This is one that you've got, Kerry, right? It's the one that I have, yes. 16. Oh, such oh, a sweet sound. No sweet sound. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's what we want to hear. It is one of the nicest signs in life, right? It's just yes, that, absolutely that coming out. Uh, the screw tab just doesn't do it. <laughs> no. And what a reveal we have now again on the nose, right? I think you've got all that lovely kind of honeyed note that we talked about before, but we've got yeah. this kind of development now, and um, we're finishing. Whereas we, we didn't have a finishing cask um, for the twelve. We're finishing now for the, the 16 in Oloroso Sherry. Um, so again, oh. it's about sort of six months and we're transferring everything into an Oloroso Sherry cask. And I, I feel like when, of, I, when I smell yeah. the nose on this one, it's like when you go to the grocery store and they have like a range of different honeys with different pollens. So I feel like the a one's really like a clove and intense, one's like... yeah. yeah. Kind of, um, but it's honey, definitely honey, but it's definitely different scent than the other one. Honey is not just honey, as I've realized in this job. And again, Georgie Bell, my wonderful predecessor, started up this program we have called Barrels and Bees. Mm. And the whole idea was when we're thinking about cocktails um, with our whiskey, you know, and for a lot of bartenders, you know, um, and I'll say I was guilty of this as well. I just thought honey was honey. But I think, you know, you have the, I don't want to get myself in trouble here, but the mass produced supermarket not so great honey when we say right. you know where the goal is just mass production you know not it's an, great it's an indiscriminate blend of honey yeah and you've got a lot of you know maybe sugar and things added and you know it's not great beekeeping practices we'll say that as well and then you find you know a local artisanal producer and we did some tastings where it was you know their honey you know supermarket honey alongside some of these great local producers and we have a global bee partner called Bermsey Street Bees who I definitely recommend uh, from London and uh, she's at what's called the Honey Sommelier. And she, Sarah is just this fountain of knowledge in all things bees. And we tried all these different honeys from all around the world. And my mind was blowing that honey is not just honey. So, you know, as you're saying there, Kerry, for me, this is, you know, a lovely, dark, rich, intense, mm -hmm. you know, kind of honey. You know, it's got a, a real kind of sort of bite to it as well. And getting yeah. into those kind of dark, rich Christmas cakey notes. But uh, yeah, it's encouraging, you know, bartenders to support local and really think about, you know, a good cocktail is only as good as your worst ingredient, right? If you're putting a fairly bog standard mass produced honey in there, it's not going to be great. And uh, we have what we call our golden dram cocktail, uh, which is like our honey twist in an old fashioned. So instead of, you know, your demerara sugar or whatever, or substituting, you know, a 50-50 honey syrup, honey water, bringing it down adding that in along with a you know a drop of angostura bitters original bit of orange bitters in there as well and a double measure of aberfeldy it makes one mean um old-fashioned cocktail <laughs> sounded like you're winding a clock there for a second <laughs> ah, now, they you know, we're, we're moving through we've gone from what i describe as the core range which we have is the aberfeldy 12 the 16 the 21 and um, we like to give back to fans and we like to have this special range which we call exceptional cask and that is what you've got in your hand there philip and um, one of our recent kind of series we've been running is this french uh you know wine cask series back in i think it was 2019 now we launched the first one which was a 15 year old um pomerol um you know again your sort of right bank uh french or bordeaux uh wine cask you know lovely kind of big juicy fruit for me that was like wine gums you know really really uh, bursting with fruits um, what you have now is the, the more recent edition, the 2020 release um, from that series. Um, I'll need to pour myself some here as well. And that is the Poyac. Um, so, yes, uh, this is ex-Poyac Bordeaux casks. Exactly. Um, if 
you know, your your typical right bank for me probably was something like a Pomerol. You know, you think of that drier inland, later ripening, you know, kind of big, juicy, bold fruits. The 18 for me is your typical left bank, you know, Bordeaux and finished um, in those. That say so it's left bank, bank, so it's it's comparatively rebellious. Yeah, big, tannin, big tannins, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's that, um, again, quite different kind of gravel mm-hmm. beds. This um, is radical. Kind of this is radical, all right. Yeah. yeah, and you still have that honeyed kind of backbone. But we get into something, and I know, apologies here, Kerry, you're just going to have to wait till uh, Philip sends you over an extra bit of this sample, right? Um, it is, for me, a whole new level of Aberfeldy. And I, I love the core range is, is fantastic. You know, I think it is the core range for a reason. It's just a great all-rounder. This is just something different from Aberfeldy. And that's kind of the job of the exceptional cask is for Stephanie McLeod, our malt master, and her team to look at this interesting and exciting other casks that can kind of accentuate different facets um, of the Aberfeldy character. Note to listeners, note to listeners, we will be interviewing um, uh, Stephanie um, in a future episode, along with Fraser Campbell. Who is our my counterpart, is uh, the global Jewish ambassador. Uh, yes. As well. I, I look yes. after everything single malt. He looks after the blends. And then Stephanie, I mean, she is hard lady to get hold of these days because she is winning awards left, right, and center. Literally everybody wants to interview at the moment. We're, um, you know, we're, we, we got a hold of her. You, you <laughs> went right to the source. And as I say, I can't wait to hear that because every time I, I hear Stephanie talking, you learn something new. She is an absolute fountain of knowledge again and uh, just so well regarded in the industry. As I say, with those massive awards winning uh, Master Blender of the Year, you know, a few big uh, awarding bodies. Um, over the last couple of years. So I think she's just really hit this new stride in her form in the finishing cast that she's using. But she'd always say, you know, the job of a, a finish is never to dominate, you know, the distillery character. You always want to be able to tell what the distillery is. You know, it should never overpower that. And I think mm-hmm. that's what she does so well. And with what you're seeing there with the 18, for me, that's still clearly Aberfeldy. You've got that lovely honey backbone to it. But then those really kind of interesting, um, already it's a bit, you know, Funky, a bit kind of earthy, a bit tannic. Mm. And cherries, you know, it's these lovely kind of sort of dried kind of stone fruits coming through there as well. Do you know how long it's in that, Philip? Do you know how long it sits in the Poyak gas? I think it's it's about sort of four to five months um, for the the finishing period here. So again, any longer than that, she felt it would kind of have overpowered the distillery character. Yeah. It's one we don't, you know, we don't give an exact, we say four to five months because. You know, it's an organic process, right? It's not something that's mechanized. The guys have to keep checking the tasks and making sure yeah. it's right and it's the desired flavor. For me, again, yeah, it has it has that backbone. It has that uh, that, that that honey core, but it, there's a spice blast. Totally, just and and it's a, a delightful, well. delightful spice spice blast. Is it like a rye spice blast? Hmm. Oh, you know, we like that very much. <laughs> But I think it has this lovely kind of tannic, uh, winey, you know, there's no other word for it, kind of mouth coating. And this is one of these, if this was the last whiskey you tasted before bed, you'd kind of wake up tasting it tomorrow morning kind of thing, right? It just sits beautifully on the palate. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this is glorious. What, what does the future hold for Aberfeldy? What, what can we look forward to? Yes. Oh, I mean, I'm sworn to secrecy on a lot of things because um, our... Uh, new product development team, kind of innovation side, we are really going for it now, looking at there's, you know, with uh, the easing, I would say, or or defining maybe more clearly of the rules with casks, you know, what you can and can't do, you know, back was that 2018 now with the SWA. Um, It has, of course, opened the doors maybe using some other interesting things. So I will say many avenues are being explored right now. Um, we're definitely looking down a lot of the traditional cask routes as well. So as I say, French red, uh, red wine cask for us in Aberfeldy, I think, go hand in hand. And I will say, watch this space because there is going to be very soon the third you know, kind of release coming on in that series. Um, okay. Something very exciting, very interesting. And uh, I can't wait to talk about that with you maybe down the and, line and, as well. And just, just a note before we move on to Kregeliki, um, again, uh, the, the Aberfeld whiskey says, I believe, the Kregelikis, their, their, their principal aging takes place in principally um, ex-bourbon casks. Yes? A lot, yeah. Predominantly yeah, ex-bourbon. A lot of sherry casks, uh, Oloroso. You know, if we, if we usually just talk about sherry, we usually mean Oloroso. Um, that said, you know, you'll see across our, our range now, um, Royal Brackler is a good example, which we'll, we'll talk about in the next one. But um, we're getting a lot of 
Palo Cartardo casks and a lot of PX casks kind of coming into inventory as well. And um, so, you know, I think Stephanie's really become, you know, uh, someone on a mission in kind of the pursuit mm. of the art of sherry cask finishing, right? There are yeah. loads of great sherries to use, not just Oloroso. But you you see a lot of Oloroso. Like, you see a fair yeah. bit of PX of Pedro Jimenez, but Palo Cortado, Palo Cortado, not so much. Right. Yeah. Krigelki, we yep. actually did, you know, moving when we are moving on to Krigelki now, that is one we did do as an exceptional cask in some markets a few years ago. Um, I think it was a 19-year-old, I want to say. One of my all-time like favorite uses of Krigelki. I think it was that funky, musty, slightly zesty. I mean, we were saying before Philip, right, um, that Palcatardo was the winemaker's choice. It is this, you know, unusual sherry cask in itself where, you know, I believe it's a flaw, isn't it? Uh, the the phenol cask and the flora is naturally kind of dying off and you know they, they say they're going to continue it on and you end up with this really unusual sherry so it makes for such interesting use in whiskey and i can't wait to see what we're doing with it across our range now Good. yeah but, uh, yeah that sounds let's amazing. see what happens there we go uh, Krigelke. you're seeing two important names there uh, for Krigelke. And and I, I will start and out Mackie. by saying um, if you thought I talked a lot about Aberfeldy, just wait for Krigelke. As I say, this is a home, <laughs> home bias coming in. And I always say, you know, we should do this last in a tasting. Uh, not only Here's Mackie. There's Mackie. The McTavish, Hi. Mackie. Yes. And he just got his hair did yesterday. What Hi. a lovely dog. He's so cute. So from it's one Mackie to another. Could, yes, it's the closest <laughs> thing I could get to a dog to scotch. So there you go. <laughs> He's a single malt. He's a single malt breed. He is. He does not shed. He does not pee in the house. He's fantastic. Yeah, and he's not peated, correct? Or, or he's or not peated. No, he's not peated. No, he's just not peated. Okay. He's not peated. Right. <laughs> um, well, we're getting into a more robust, um, not quite peated character here, but uh, something rather unusual um, with Craig Elkins. I say I always leave it to last, usually in a tasting, because it has a robust character and profile. So definitely should come after Aberfeldy, which, you know, was a, a plain malt, you know, nothing in there at all. Um, but also, oh, what a sound. Um, Krigelke, literally, whatever time we've got left to talk, I will take all of that time and probably more um, talking you go. about Krigelke, because it has such yeah. an interesting history and heritage. And, you go, you know, we'll edit. Yeah, you, you yeah, edit, edit as we. We, we. The collective <laughs> we. <laughs> and tell me to shut up when I've gone on for too long, and this one as well, but... You know, Krigelki, it is an unusual Speyside whiskey. You know, it is, we've always said, a bit of a contradiction in a glass in flavours. And I need to pour myself that 13 here, but you guys pour yourself that Krigelki 13. Have a little smell, have wow. a little taste. And I'd love to get your thoughts before I kind of uh, dive into my own thoughts on this one. Oh, sure. And we want to hear the history of the brand because it's, yes. it's, it's certainly as rich as Aberfeldy. The, the nose, I'm getting a very spicy yet floral to definitely agree with that yeah oh it's beautiful for me i always like to say a bit tropical um as mm. well with this and again i don't want to be too leading but as soon as i say something like pineapple but not like a fresh ripe oh, pineapple you can imagine this has been pineapple sitting maybe roasted on a barbecue or something you know yeah. it's a little bit of that kind of roasted pineapple, pineapple ever it's made it made its way along the gulf stream um um, to Scotland. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's got a flavonoid in common with pineapple, to be sure. That's that's magnificent. And that is not something new. You know, we were saying, uh, talking about the history, um, we are a distillery that has been said we've been old-fashioned since 1891. And I always think that's a bit of an inside joke, because if you look at our founding date, it was 1891. So what we're really saying is we have always been old-fashioned in our way mm. of doing things. And that came from part of a quote uh, from uh, a very famous whiskey writer, I'm sure you, you guys are familiar with him, Alfred Bernard. You know, and he, of course, the man who wrote that book, traveling around the United Kingdom, the, you know, the whiskey distilleries of the UK um, as well. And he didn't visit Krigelke initially. And um, there was a later edition of the book that has some papers in featuring Krigelke from journals that he wrote. I think it was like the 2008 edition of that, that book. Um, but he talked about Krigelke having being a, a style seldom met with today. You know, so this really kind of old-fashioned style and character um, for its time. And he did actually refer to his uh, the kind of old-fashioned Glenlivet style, but not necessarily the Glenlivet, of course, we know today, but Glenlivet, as we know, was kind of that area synonymous. 
almost what we would call space side today. You know, it was that area kind of of Scotland, honest with, uh, rife with illicit whiskey makers. You know, back in the day, we had everything going for us in the area, an abundance of water. You know, we are called space side because we have so many tributaries running down into the, the River Spey, abundance of natural water. Um, we are still known as one of the, the best barley producing regions, you know, Murray, the area within Speyside today. And of course, we could get hold of your yeast. So the area was kind of rife, you know, with that. But so really harking back to that kind of old Speyside character, really, you know, with that lovely kind of pineapple note coming through. And Alfred Bernard called out and we reckon there wasn't a date on the paper, but he made reference to the new uh, hotel that was just built in the village. Of course, the very now famous Krigelki Hotel. So we reckon it must have been around sort of 1893. And that kind of placed that document. So just a few years, really, you know, after the distillery was built. And, uh, you know, thing, the guys have just built this distillery, but, you know, the methods that they're using are still considered old fashioned for the time. You know, so it really was this kind of old school style of production, that pineapple note he called out then. So I think it's great that that's a note that was called out, you know, in about 1893. And it still yeah. is a note prevalent, wow. you know, within the distillery today. Right. I think a lot now, of that for me. Yep. Uh, no, I was going to say, sorry, 1891, this this renders it marginally older than Aberfeldy, but but no more than five or six years. A few years, yeah, there, there as well. I mean, it's, that would it's be our emerging. oldest distillery. Um, our oldest is Royal Brackla, so 1812 we go back to there. Wow. Um, our next would be Krigelki, um in the scheme of things there, to say 1891. And um, it was built by two whiskey icons, one you probably will have heard of, and one I would be surprised if you had heard of, but I'll be delighted um, if you have. So um, one of them being Peter Mackey, um, who is famed for the brand White Horse, you know, came from the Mackey blending family based out of Glasgow. Um, they had ownership of Lagavulin um, Distillery as well. Um, Peter Mackey um, probably put a, a mark in history um, for anyone who's seen The Angel's Share, you know, that movie where they've got that... Yep. Um, elusive whiskey um, you'll, do you remember the, the name of course of that distillery they're all trying to get hold of the bottles was Malt Mill um, yeah. that rare unicorn of whiskey these days well that was actually Peter Mackey's building and I think it really exemplifies Peter Mackey's character as to why it was built and it was he had a deal you know, with Lafroig at the time they were getting lots of good whiskey from Lafroig ownership changed and then he no longer was able to get the deal he wanted so he said right if I'm not going to get the deal I want uh, I'm going to build another distillery right next to uh, Lagavulin uh, Lager on our land. I'm going to try to build a second Laphroaig. I'm going to pay the workers at Laphroaig to come and work for me. Uh, and I'm going to take the water source from Laphroaig and use it for my water source at this new, uh, you know, it's almost like Laphroaig too, but they called it Malt Mill. And that was a testament to his character. He was not a man to be messed with, you know. Um, his friends called him Restless Peter. He was always on a mission. He was always fighting government on legislation, on minimum ageing. Um, he was always uh, weird and wonderful hobbies. He was a, I think it was a Kerrigan moss farmer, which was a medicinal what? moss. He had a, a tweed mill. You know, any photo of him, he's in full tweeds, kilt, uh, you know, shooting dogs and, you know, uh, gun in hand. He wrote books on gamekeeping, you know, on fishing and, and hunting. Um, he created something called BBM, which stood for Blood, Bone and Muscle which used to feed to all his workers as different distillers. Now, that sounds horrible. I'm pleased to say that those were not the ingredients. Uh, that was what it was meant to improve, was your blood, your bone, and your muscle. And it was a, a coarse oatmeal that could be either eaten as a porridge or turned into a bread. So he was thinking happy workers will be good workers and healthy workers will be good workers. So he really took the health of his workers to heart. Um, I think another distillery of his, Hazelburn, I think was the first to get a, a distillery labs on site and really starting to analyse your samples scientifically. So he was a guy way ahead of his time, really interesting character. Um, another famous writer, Sir Robert Lockhart, once famously described him as one-third eccentric, one-third genius, and one-third a megalomaniac. You know, he was this really interesting character within Scotch whisky. On the other side of things, we have two, you know, joint founders here. And I think we have the ying to Peter Mackey's yang in our other uh, founder. Um, now, I'm going to put you guys in the spot here and test you here. Um, do you know his name? Well, I guess you've got a little uh, hint on the, the lid there um, as well. Um, but he's Alexander Edward. Spot on. And so many people I was going to say, him, Mr. Edward. Mr. Because Edward. research. <laughs> research, of course. But, you know, most people you say, do you know the other man's name? And I always say, you know, he, 
He uh, built Craig Ellerke. He also would build Altmore. Um, he inherited Ben Rinnes from his father, David Edward. That was the second Australia would take on after Craig Ellerke. Um, he took out the lease on Oban not long after building Altmore. And then he moved through to Forest and built Dallas Moore, later known as Dallas Do, before it was mothballed. And uh, also uh, Ben Romich um, as well, of course, G&M now. So he had this loads of distilleries under his name. Huge impact yeah. on the industry. Very involved blenders. Pardon the pun, but pardon, pardon the pun, but he was a serial distiller. <laughs> he was. I uh, love. We we are going to be friends here. This is my sort of chat. Um, you know, loads of distilleries kind of behind his name, but very few people knew him. And I always say, you know, unlike his blending friends, he was really good friends with uh, Tommy Dure. There's accounts of the two of them chatting in the Craig Elk Hotel in uh, Robert Bruce Lockhart's book. Peter Mackey, obviously his business partner, many other blenders across Scotland. But I think he kind of shied away from, you know, the the limelight a little bit. You know, he was a, the deed itself was enough, I think, for, for Alexander Edward. He was a, a well-known local philanthropist. He gave back to the, the village and the area in so many ways. Um, he opened up his large luxury manor house. He let the army take over as a pop-up military hospital in the Second World War. He gifted a huge portion of his estate called Kintail to the Royal Northern Infirmary Hospitals. He set up fighting funds for farmers when they were struggling for barley, you know, coming in from other countries and Scottish farmers struggling with competing with prices. He set up funds for them to compete with their barley prices. There was honestly loads of things he did. He, he gifted basically, uh, I think we're one of the first villages in Scotland to have electric street lighting installed in Craigellachie. Wow. It was because he had his distillery up in the hill and he had his hotel down towards the train station. So as he was connecting the two with electricity, he thought, I may as well just run street lights through the village for all the locals. So, you know, oh, there's so loads of little sort of sweet touches that he did and, you know, built up the brickworks and the villa houses in the village. He's, he was so important to Speyside. But as I say, because he shied away, I think, from getting his name sprawled across the newspapers and fighting government like, you know, Peter Mackey, he's this kind of forgotten hero within the whiskey industry. So I love to talk about him and just because I think he, he's so important and I love to spread his name. Uh, so those are our two founders with Kregelke. So two really different contrasting founders and characters. And I think that's exactly what you have in a glass with Kregelke because we talked about, you know, the kind of fruitier pineapple side. I talked again about, you know, not being a, a ripe pineapple. It was a toasted pineapple. And again, I think, yeah. uh, especially with a bit of water, you start to see this, this kind of cordite, kind of wet gunpowder, kind of fuss kind of funky, kind of unusual, you know, smoke, but not like an Isla whiskey, typical Isla kind of smoke. You know, for me, Isla distilleries might be standing next to a bonfire. If that's the case, Regelke is like your clothes the day after, you know, when they've got that, that grip of smoke to them oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. as well. Um, so yeah, you know, you, you beat me to it. You beat me to it. I was going to say cordite. That's, that's, yes, that's my tasting note, cordite. And I think <laughs> for Stephanie, I think, you know, she often refers to it as cordite as well. That would, you've got a good, good nose in the earth, Philip. You could be a master blender because I know that's exactly, that's exactly what she would say. <laughs> I kid. Um, yeah. Now, now, Kregelagi means rocky cliff. And yeah. from, from the Kregelagi, one can see the McAllen distillery just across. Just across the span. Okay. And uh, friendly, 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 uh, friendly rivalry over the years? We're all, we're all pals. And I, I, I try to say this to folk, you know, at the sales side of things, you know, and, and marketing and stuff, it can get a bit heated. But you go to the guys who are making the whiskey and we're all friends. You'll see guys from loads of different distilleries in Speyside sitting around the same table, you know, sitting around the same table in a bar. And if anyone's having problem at one, you know, a problem at one distillery, the more experienced stillmen from another distillery are trying to help them sort out. You know, we're we're all friends, kind of from that perspective. And you know, I know for some of our distilleries, there's been like a major, yeah, so not so not American. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, there is a, you know, as nice that is, there's an interior motive, I suppose, as well, because you know, Scotch whiskey is an unusual one because a lot of us are blending houses at the same time from the big companies. We need them to stay in production. You know, we need to keep their production going because we'll probably get some of that whiskey. So, you know, I guess it's a really rare industry where although in some respects we're kind of competing against each other, we also need some of each other's whiskey to make a lot of our blends. But at the heart of it, you know, most of us, you know, who are families who've been in it for generations, some of their family work at one distillery, some of their family work at another distillery. You know, it's one of these things that we've all got friends and family working in different places and people do occasionally swap around, you know, different stills. 
um, it pays off to be friendly because, you know, we are all pals. But I, I see we're moving on to the 17, so let me... We are. <laughs> we, moving? We moved. What are you talking about? Think, Where were you? Where that, are you, doing? That was a polite hint for me, I think, from Philip there. You're, you're talking too much on this one. But uh, I think we go you're from uh, a lovely kind of banana note. I'll say um, my friend Gary Ross, I call him Gary the Green Man Ross. Um, have you ever seen the movie The Rain Man? You know, uh, Dustin Hoffman, he's oh, got yes. the numbers rattling around in his head. I say wow, Gary Ross is that for whiskey facts and figures. Um, he is definitely someone you need to get on and talk to. He's so he's a whiskey savant. Uh, whiskey savant, exactly. So he took on my role as the, the brand Homes Ambassadors. Um, he is just an absolute fountain of knowledge. And um, we used to sit on our, our lunch breaks together, going through the malt whiskey yearbook and challenging each other, saying, okay, it was a distillery built in this year with this capacity. What is it? And Gary would just have them every time he knows them. So uh, definitely someone you'll want to speak to down the line. But one of his favorite tasting notes for Krigeliki is saying it's like ripening banana, whereas maybe with the 13, you have a fairly green kind of unripe banana, really interesting, funky notes. With the 17, we're getting more into kind of a really nice kind of ripe banana. By the time you get into like Krigeliki 23 or you get into the Krigeliki 31, you know, you kind of move along our line you get into, by the Krigelki 31, you're into kind of like banana bread. You know, it's this lovely oh. kind of Okay, can you send that over? Because banana bread is my favorite thing. <laughs> well, Krigelki 31. And, and specifically get... my mom's banana bread. <laughs> I love I love a good banana bread, but it is very hard to get hold of a Krigelki 31 now. There we go. That's a great comparison there um, on screen uh, from Philip. So you can see from that, I think the one on the, it was the right for me there. I don't know if it was mirrored or not here. But uh, that was kind of Krigelki 13. The one on the left, a, little, a couple of little black spots coming on. That is a good, um, there we go. That one on the, yeah, the right for that. Was, was that a frozen banana there or something? Uh, no, these are, both, these are both from, from my backyard. We have four banana, oh. four banana, five wow. banana trees, four, four species. I was just saying to Kerry there, that is, for me, Krigelki 31, if you're ever lucky enough to try it, is like a, a lovely baked kind of banana bread. But hard to get hold of these days because... Krugelki was this whiskey nobody had really heard of. You know, it was kind of like a, a malt spotter's, you know, a kind of cult following. And then uh, we only really launched, I should say, you know, under the Bacardi name, the standard range in 2014 with what we call the last great malts. And really, you know, the standard kind of bottlings have progressed since then. But before that, you know, when we were owned by the DCL at the time, of course, eventually became Diageo, which was why it was sold to Bacardi. Um, you had these occasional kind of floor and fauna bottlings. So there was a 14-year-old. Mm -hmm. And from Krigeliki, right. but so as an operation, it's old. Mm. It had some years on it, but as a yeah. as a brand, it's young. Fairly, fairly young. That that's what people always say. You know, how how is it competing? You know, with all these new whiskies. You know, we only launched in 2014. I say we may be new brands, but we are very old whiskies. You know, we've got such a great history and heritage, and you know that that's been kind of passed on. But the the 31, the, the 23, the year we launched 2015, it won uh, best Scotch uh, at the I think it was the San Fran Awards. And then it was the year later, two years later, 2017, the 31 won world's best whiskey um, at the World's Whiskey Awards, best single malt. And suddenly it went from people saying, oh, you're from Krigelki, never heard of it. It went to, oh, you're from Krigelki. Didn't I just win a big award? Can you get me some? You know, so right. it's suddenly <laughs> Krigelki, I think, on the map is this place to, you know, go and check out our whiskey. Was yeah. Krigelki, were there, were there independently battlings of it? Was um... Yeah. Some great, some great indie bottlings over the years as well. Okay. So there, there has been quite a few, and I definitely encourage you go go and try some. Um, again, I'm very biased being from the village, but we have some great whiskey bars in the village. You know, we're a tiny village of less than 600 people, uh, but we had three really renowned whiskey bars in the village. And um, one of them being the hotel which uh, Alexander Edward actually built as well, um, which has the Quake Bar, one of the biggest collections I think in Scotland. But the kind of local favourite for me is the the Highlander Inn. Um, run by uh, Tatsuya, this, um, again, amazing fountain of knowledge. Um, and he has a, a really good collection of some indie bottling. So I definitely try to get through a few when I can. And there are a lot of great ones out there to try. But um, yeah, for me, I think Stephanie, you know, and her, her skill, there just can't beat it, though. You know, I think all the indie bottlings have been good. This is phenomenal. This is phenomenal. For those people out there that have been living under a rock, uh, tell us a little <laughs> bit about Stephanie and how long has she been doing what she's doing with you guys? So I think Stephanie joined in, I want to say, two, now you're testing me here, I haven't thought about this in a while, I think like 2008, something like that, okay. I think rings the bell. And she took on, I think it was maybe a few years before that, but I want to say she, yeah, took on 
I can't remember if it's the malt master role then taking over from was it David Howie, the previous uh, malt master, but some, something like that, you know, uh, like, I want to say about 2008, but um, she's kind of gone, I think, from strength to strength, you know, and it really has been the last few years, I think she's really come into her own and been recognized for it. And she is, you know, she has a busy job. It's not only malt master for Aberfeldy and Kriegelke, it's for our other three single malts as well with Altmore, with whiskey from McDuff, you know, the Deverin um, yeah. and uh, Royal Brackle as well. Then also our blends. So, you know, Dewar's, she is the master blender for Dewar's as well. And then we also have William Lawson, which is another huge uh, blended Scotch whiskey, um, depending on which country you are in the world. But yeah, another huge July. Whiskey. July 2006 is when Stephanie McLeod became master blender at uh, at uh, Bacardi Global Brands. Fairly yes. close. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what would we do without Google? <sighs> I know. Well, that was LinkedIn. That was LinkedIn. Oh, LinkedIn. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For the, the check there. Um, oh, please. We want to. We 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 aim to, to inform. <laughs> we aim. We aim to inform. But uh, the 17, you know, I think it is a progression in flavor from the 13 where. We went from, uh, I always remember Gabe Gardarella, who we've talked about, the uh, national ambassador for Dewar's. Mm-hmm. He always described Krigelki 13 like firing a shotgun through a pineapple, which I just thought was one of the most visual tasting notes I've ever heard. Fantastic. And it gets the two kind of sides of the character. With the, the 17-year-old, there's a little bit of a, kind of a licorice kind of added into here as well. Do you, do you kind of get that note uh, through here? It's a kind of aniseed kind of note. The really kind of floral, kind of herbal note coming through as well, alongside that kind of ripening banana bit. Um, I love it. I should say as well, this the whole core range for us, um, which is the 13, 17, 23 is kind of on hold for the moment. It's getting very hard to um, keep that up in the, the core range. You might still find it in some markets. If you do, it's an absolute gem. Like hen's teeth these days, though, it's, it's a, a real rarity. Um, but the whole core range... We have. You like that one, Philip? <laughs> the whole core range for us um, is 46%. It is... <laughs> I've lost you here. <laughs> You've done well to keep that Craig 17 down. Breathe, Philip. Uh, breathe. breathe. <laughs> <laughs> but it is non-chill filtered, 46%. And uh, we're finishing everything across the 13 and 17 in a combination of first fill bourbon and first fill sherry castle. Some of it goes into first fill bourbon, some of it goes into first fill sherry, and we marry it all together at the end. So I think you get a lovely kind of spiciness kind of punch to it um, coming through because of that as well. Um, not your typical space side though, right? I think there's those kind of unusual notes coming through. And if I'm going to talk about two things that make Kregelke Kregelke, um, we use um, uh, um, sulfured malt. So it's kind of what we call an oil-fired kiln. Um, we are one of very, the last distilleries really to use this um, in Scotland. I think Diageo have one kicking around somewhere. We use a specialist maltster called uh, Glen Esk, based over at Montrose, uh, kind of just between Aberdeen and Dundee. And uh, this is a very it's an unusual practice. And I realised this when I, I got a visit there. You know, normally you don't get a visit. Um, I went along with Georgie Bell. The two of us went over to there one day, arranged it with the, the uh, maltings manager. And kind of when I arrived, they're not used to having guests. So I bumped, the first person I bumped into, I kind of said to him, hey, you know, we're, we're here for a, for a visit. And he says, oh, are you the guys from Craigellachie? I said, yes. And all he said was, oh, you guys are weird and walked off. And that was literally my, my welcome to this, this place. And it was just, I'll never forget it. It was such a, a just a great welcome. And uh, we caught up with him later on. We met the, the site manager, Ron, uh, Ronnie McDonald, great guy. And I uh, caught up with this other guy later on. I said, you know, what a, what a welcome. What on earth did you mean by that? And he said, you know, he'd worked in Maltons for like 20 years. He'd never seen a request for, for barley, quite like Kregelke's. And there are four different kilns at Glenesk. Um, the other three are kind of your typical kind of, you know, drying with hot air. And um, kiln number two is that oil fired kiln where, you, you know, very, it's very rarely you have a direct firing, you know, underneath. So it lifts up those flames kind of licking up and you get a lot of sulfur impregnated into the barley because of this. And, you know, most distilleries, you know, from speaking to the maltsters, if the trace level of, you know, sulfur is above three parts per million, they're rejecting it. You know, that is kind of the, the absolute max they would go. Anything lower is much better. Kregelke is a standard. We're looking at like 10 times that. And they said, that's such an unusual request. And most distillers, again, once they get into the distillery, they're looking to do everything they can to kind of lose those kind of heavier kind of sulfury notes. We try and retain them. And again, we have huge stills. You know, um, someone once said they look like they've had too many Happy Meals kind of thing. You know, they're a huge basin. I'm going up into this lovely big wide kind of neck. 
along a horizontal kind of line arm and then out where you'd expect to see a shell and tube condenser go straight through a hole in the wall and out to our worm tubs. And we're one of only 19 distilleries still in Scotland um, using the old-fashioned worm tub method of condensing. So with that, again, we're encouraging less copper contact. The way we run them, this layer of sort of film develops within the worm, buffering it from a lot of that copper contact. So it has the cooling effect. It doesn't remove a lot of those kind of bigger, heavier kind of sulfuric kind of notes um, as well. So, you know, Stephanie will tell you, you know, I know when you get her on that, you know, Krigeliki on the nose of the new make spirit, it has this massive kind of sulfury note to it. It's very hard to get the fruits coming through. But if you were to run it through the computer behind the scenes as well, it has the potential for probably the biggest amount of fruit of any of our new make spirit, you know, with right. the compounds that are there. And I think the role of maturing Krigeliki is just to allow some of that sulfur to dissipate and come into this lovely balance between the two of allowing those tropical notes to kind of shine through. But at the same time, you know, those those kind of sulfury notes that make Krigeliki, Krigeliki uh, come through. Such a different this is This is my new favorite whiskey. Um, of course, I'll have another one next week. But Cheers to that. This yeah. is, this is. <laughs> Phenomenal. This is, that's, this is, Wow. Well, Carrie and I have learned have learned a great deal through this this podcast, oh, yes. um, but sometimes the experiences. I mean, they're all good to one degree or another, but sometimes they are exceptional. I'm just gonna I'm gonna say I think this is an exceptional one. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna agree I'm, with that. I'm gonna agree with that. Shall we talk cocktails? Yeah, let's talk cocktails. So. <laughs> so, so Philip, let, yeah. let's do the lead in, Philip. You, uh, go, okay, go for so it. You have the floor. I direct the cocktail collection. Uh, used to be known as the, uh, for many years, as the Museum of the American Cocktail. We recently reorganized and rebranded the cocktail collection. Fewer words, more descriptive of, of the global phenomenon that is the cocktail. Um, so, um, talk to us about cocktails. What, what's your favorite, not your favorite cocktail, but your, your go to category? And uh, how do you like to see the brands you represent cocktailed? And should you walk into a bar that uh, 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 doesn't carry your brands? Uh, what do you order? Great, great question for sure. Um, I, I grew up thinking, you know, whiskey is a neat drink for a long time, right? And it took me took me a long time to kind of get my head around cocktails. I agree with that. But I will say... <laughs> I, I, well, but we I, also know, yes, Gary, but we yeah. also know that cocktails I move product. Yes. But I, I honestly think... <laughs> As we've said, a good cocktail is only as good as its worst ingredient, right? And I think whiskey uh, cocktails absolutely. have so much to offer. And I, I'm totally behind whiskey cocktails now. Like, honestly, I think it's such a great way to enjoy whiskey. Um, and it's the same, you know, to most people in the villages who make the stuff. And a lot of them enjoy it in cocktails as well, right? And I think it's it's more this kind of preconception that you can't, can't do this, you know. But obviously, you look back in history... Whiskey being enjoyed probably neat was something way newer, right? That was kind of something that came around in the 60s, 70s, 80s, right? Whiskey cocktails is where it all began. The whiskey and soda, right? You know, with your whole phylloxera and the substitution of brandy and, and scotch and all this. Right. We've got a long history when, with, you know, apple whiskey, clothes, When, when you whiskey know, filled the vacuum. Recipes. Yeah, when whiskey filled the vacuum, uh, when brandy virtually left the market because of the phylloxera uh, epidemic. Yes, indeed. Hmm. Yeah, so whiskey cocktails. Yes. God's place. For me, I think I'm really jumping on the highball trend here. I think for that oh, occasional, you know, especially the summer's day when we have that one day in Scotland, right? When the sun does finally come through, there is nothing better than just a refreshing highball. So for me, it's been starting to experiment with what makes a good highball. You know, what is that? What do you build it up with? Um, and Aberfeldy, we have a lovely honey highball, as we've been talking about oh, the lovely kind of honey characteristics. That sounds so, good. Again, you know, you're making that honey syrup, you know, again, a 50-50 kind of uh, water, just stirring it down cold water, I think is the best way so you're not, you know, losing a lot of that flavor by adding hot water into it. I think, you know, stirring it down, um, adding that in, you know, double measure of Aberfeldy 12, um, again, sort of 25, you know, 20 mil um, of your honey syrup, and then building that up with a chamomile tea. I've been doing a lot of experimentation. I think chamomile tea is definitely the way forward. It's such, again, it really accentuates those honeyed notes. It works beautifully, that balance of chamomile and honey, and it is such a refreshing highball building up that way. So um, highballs for me. Um, Altmore as well, I think, and um, we'll come on to talk about that next time, you know, but I think Altmore and just a clean soda, um, again, it's such a refreshing drink. And I think, you know, whiskey, 
a lot of the time isn't the most refreshing. You know, I don't think, oh, I'm going to drink whiskey to be refreshed. But when you have something like a, but what a do you highball, do with a highball? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> when it's a highball on ice, sure. No, to me, yeah. you know, a nice, a nice, you know, full-bodied single malt is the same as hot coffee on an August afternoon. It works for me. Yeah. There, oh, yeah, but see, that's all hot. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, other other cocktails, you know, it's the classic. I'm sure everybody says it, an old-fashioned again, right? Mm-hmm. I think I love something pretty built up like that. Would you believe with Aberfeld again? We've got another honeyed example of our old-fashioned. So we as I say we call it the golden dram. As I mentioned before, that that mixing, you know, down with the honey syrup and the, the yeah. Um, yeah, uh, bitters um, as well. There, so we talked about that one earlier. But um, yeah, I think there's loads of different ways to enjoy it. But yeah, twists and old fashions. Um, we found a good one for Krigelki as well, and um, we've been calling it the old soul, where you substitute some pineapple bitters, you know, pineapple oh. syrup, sorry, in there as well, and um, with some Agnesura bitters. Um, again, just really kind of. I have to try that. Yeah. Dehydrated pineapple as your garnish on the top there. It's a winner. I have to try that. That sounds yeah, absolutely. Now you walk into a bar. Matt Cordner walks into a bar, and none of your five brands is yeah. on the back bar. What do you? Which is ridiculous and wouldn't which happen. Is ridiculous. But, yeah. Who would dark? Who would darken the door? What do you? I mean, order? I'm a. I am a space side boy through and through. I think, and you know, I, I genuinely think. <laughs> I mean, not a boy. Go but... wrong with a space side. I will say, you know, one of the the first whiskeys I remember trying that got me into whiskey was Aberlour, you know, just along the road. Oh, I love and, Aberlour. Uh, Abuna. And again, I know you're a big, you're a big oh. uh, sherry fan, right, Philip? So and I that remember, one in particular, yeah. Yeah, our early batches of Abuna, you know, um, was probably some of the first things I remember trying in the world of whiskey again. You know, friends working in the distillery, um, bottles getting dropped around at my dad's, you know, my, my family's. Um, dad having a sip of something, me saying, oh, what's that? That looks... That's really dark for a whiskey. Can I can I give that one a try? You know, it looks pretty unusual. And then just been blown away with this big sherry bomb, right? So I think that is definitely a, a great whiskey as well. But, you know, it's a, such a hard question, right? But I think Speyside for me, you, you, I've never had a Speyside whiskey I don't think I like. Um, I, I do like a bit of peat now and again. You know, I, I definitely have dabbled with kind of Isla whiskeys. Um, it's growing on me. I'm still a Speyside boy through and through, I think. But there we go. Ditto, except for Speyside girl. <laughs> space side lass yeah well this has been fantastic matt thank you so much for joining no, us today on this my pleasure uh, i hope it's well you, i would rather be where you are because it's way too free <laughs> but <clears throat> thank you so much for joining us today it's been fantastic we would love to catch up with you later about that uh mysterious new release that's coming out that you kind of uh, let us well, upon de- earlier depending on when i come back to discuss the next three distilleries it might be mm-hmm. out by then we'll see and so if it okay. is I'll, I'll definitely reveal what it what it is or was depending so folks will All just right. have to stay tuned for the next one for the big review exactly we look, awesome. we look forward to hosting you again because i, I know the, the, the altmore and the deveron and royal brackler are also they have their own rich colorful stories so and uh, as my mom would say i could blether for scotland right who, who knew i'd make a living out of it right getting to actually talk about whiskey but um, there are plenty of stories to share in those three don't you worry for show notes on today's podcast please visit our website at spiritsofwhiskey.com that's whiskey with an e we'll include links and supporting documents from today's stories in this episode's blog post As always, you'll see upcoming topics, a guest roster, and links to past shows. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, Slanchava! Spirits of Whiskey is produced by First Real Entertainment and the Center for Culinary Culture, home of the Cocktail Collection, and is available via Anchor, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and wherever fine podcasts are heard.